Thank you all for coming. Welcome to another Bewa RE Solar Town Hall. I'm very excited about the session today. We're going to look forward into 2021. We're going to we're going to speculate. We're going to look into our crystal balls. But I would like to bring up our first guest, uh, Ajulo Otho, and she is the founder and CEO of Enter Wealth Solutions, and she's also a committee representative of uh, Black-owned Solar Services, Boss, coolest name in the industry, and she's also the new head of the Green Bank of North Carolina. Welcome, Ajulo. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Just to clarify, I'm on the board of the um, North Carolina Coalition for um, Clean Capital. So okay, thank thanks. you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, and we have Brian White. He's a research analyst at Wood Mackenzie Power and Renewables. It's uh, Brian's first time. Ajulo's been on before a couple of weeks ago, but this is Brian's first time on the on the Baywa Solar Town Hall. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for coming. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Glad you could join us. And we also have David Dunlap from our own team. He's the Vice President of Operations at Baywa RE Solar Systems. Uh, welcome again, David. Great to have you. Good to be here, Tom. Thanks. And one of our original guests from way back in the day, we have Vikram Agarwal. Um, he joined us, I believe, for our first town hall back last year in March. Um, so Vikram, welcome. Great to have you again. Likewise. Great to be, great to be on again. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. And Jessica is going to share a link for the installer survey that Energy Sage is running. So everyone should take a few minutes and take that. It's a really valuable uh, asset for the industry. And you also get a copy of the report once you fill it out. Um, okay, so we had a trivia question at the top. I'm going to do the first one now. How many Earths could fit inside the sun? I really hope this never happens. But if it does, um, the answer is 1 million Earths could fit into the sun. So uh, yeah, pretty important to know that. Well, I'll be trying to get through the rest of these if we have time. There's a few other ones. How many kilowatts does the average American home utilize in a month? Keep you hanging on that one. Okay, so thanks to Jessica for putting those together. And today we we have we got a lot of audience questions. And we're going to try to get through them all. Um, some of the agenda items are supply chain tax credits. We're going to talk about the economy, the new administration. We're talking going to talk about business models a little bit, solar consumers, sales and financing products. How do we make good decisions? It's a lot on the table today, but I wanted to get the pulse of our guests and talk about what the story they have for 2021 is rattling around in their brains. Vikram, why don't we start with you? What's the solar story you have uh, or the story of 2021 you have rattling around in your brain? Excellent question. And like uh, everyone, I think uh, on this podcast, I bet you are planning for the year ahead. Uh, how should you think about staffing investments uh, for 2021? Uh, what kind of growth we are going to see in the industry? So that is uh, also the, the questions that we are debating in, internally. I think we're excited. I think we're definitely very optimistic, very excited about the future of the solar solar industry, especially with the Biden administration and uh, and all the policies, I think, that are, that are likely to uh, be supportive of solar industry in 2021, at least at the federal level. That said, our, our view is that I think it is going to be a moderate growth here. It's, uh, we are not expecting any kind of an explosive growth, partly because we are not seeing anything significant changing uh, in the near term uh, that will change the direction of the solar industry. The one wild card that we are watching out is the SPACs. There is a lot of money that is uh, uh, SPACs and maybe the in general, the capital markets. Uh, as you know, I think the solar stocks are just um, performing at a level that 
I have an investment background and I cannot explain why the solar stocks have the valuations that they have. Uh, of course, I'm missing something there. But the amount of capital that is coming into this industry is likely to be a disruptive force, at least in the near term. Whether it is, is it gonna be a disruption for good or disruption for not good is still to be determined. So I'll stop here. Uh, happy to go into more detail on any of these topics. Gosh, I just want to ask everyone to jump in on that question, but but let's stick with the solar story. Brian, what's your solar story for 2021? Yeah, so I think what we're tracking at Woodmac right now, um, going kind of along with what Bikram was saying, is we're all aware of the kind of pent-up demand um, and how high the uh, consumer interest is for residential solar. But I think what we're looking at mostly is what's actually gonna be holding the industry back. What are the main constraints? Um, I don't think we at this point have uh, enough to really address the full interest and demand that there is out in the market. Um, and we know that there are some bottlenecks like um, you know, growing backlogs, getting projects to, to actual achieve permission to operate, um, delays at the utility level, um, securing enough labor and equipment to get projects completed. So, you know, there's, there's a tremendous interest, but we're going to be tracking, you know, what, what is actually holding us back from achieving that in, in the same vein that the Vikram was saying, you know, we don't envision a, a huge, huge explosive year this year as well, either um, that we're kind of forecasting for 2021, although there will be some modest growth. And I think aside from that, we're also looking at the the staying power of this digital transformation that we've seen kind of on the, the heels of 2020. Um, we all know the, the changes to sales and lead generation tactics that um, were kind of spurred along by, by COVID-19. I mean, we're trying to see exactly how long or, or, or what, what is the, the likelihood that those tactics will remain a, an integral part for contractors in 2020, 20, uh, 2021 and beyond. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of interest out there. We're just trying to track, you know, what, what the, the realistic projections are for this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. And I do want to come back to that idea of what are the constraints? What are the bottlenecks going to be? So we can chat about that a little later in the show. David, uh, your story for 2021. I'm not sure I can say it much better than Brian and Vikram. Um, I think that we would be wise as an industry to, to think in terms of that um, measured growth rather than actually trying to force a, a, a massive growth. Um, because uh, it's absolutely true that that the sort of the foundational principles, some of the supply chain challenges, those we're not ready for explosive growth. And um, and I think that that it's great that the stars have aligned and we've got um, policy and, and money and, and those um, positive forces uh, sort of opening up the highway lane and ready to go. But but the rest has to come along. And, and Brian, you touched on them. I think the, the utility connection We've still got massive uh, hindrances in a lot of the um, less populous states, and and um, that's this. I mean, here in New Mexico, we we just can't add more solar to the grid yet. We've got to get smarter on the utility side to make that happen. And though that's a constraint, and supply chain is a constraint, those those issues are very real. So I think I think my basic story is we still got a lot of challenges, but there's a lot more hope and optimism. Um, and so if we if we can use the hope to to help um, kind of focus our vision and be a little bit tempered in our enthusiasm, we've got a lot more uh, smiles on our faces and a lot more uh, sort of motivation and drive rather than the despair that we felt, uh, you know, in, in Q2 last year. But, uh, but I think there's still a lot of challenges for this year. David, the voice of reason, bringing us down to earth, bringing me down to earth. Um, Ajulo, what, what's your story you have run, running around in your brain? 
Yeah, so I, I agree with the guys. I do think that um, capital is really not going to be the issue. It really hasn't been the issue. And it's certainly not going to be an issue with the emphasis that the Biden administration has put on climate and, and the role that clean energy plays in it. So then I really think that it's more about, uh, at this point, figuring out what the policy environment needs to be at the federal level um, to facilitate sort of a harmonization across the states and um, create some other forms of incentive, particularly for the regulated utilities here in the Southeast to open up the doors more, create more space for, for a growing queue of interconnections. The marketplace here in the Southeast has really been driven by utility scale. And unless there's some uh, regulatory and policy changes to facilitate more residential and CNI, um, we're gonna continue to see the money go towards utility scale. So I think that there's still some policy gaps that have nothing really to do with capital, but more to do with potentially uh, everything sort of rolls back to capital, of course, but a federal renewable portfolio standard would be a game changer, I think more so than $100 billion in additional financing, to be honest with you. Okay, great. Thank you, Ajulo. Let's dive into an audience question. Um, We're going to go to you, David. Let's see, where is it here? It's a really simple one. Yeah, here it is. Um, This is from Amanda in New York. So when will our supply chains get back to normal? So that's the question. Uh, Why don't you tackle that easy one for us to begin with? Sure, sure. Simple to answer. Um, No, it it is complex. Um, And as much as we we want to kind of have an easy answer, um, it's not as soon as we'd like, um, and uh, there are multiple pressures. From a, from a macro perspective, um, the global constraint on shipping containers and freight is very real. Um, some folks are, are sort of suspecting that after the end of the Chinese New Year, which is uh, middle of February, I think, um, that some of the pressure will ease. Our, I was just on a call earlier this morning with some of my colleagues in Canada, Mexico, and Europe, and um, they actually don't think it's going to ease anytime soon. And if you um, think about what, what's been happening in those shipping um, and, and, and transatlantic uh, uh, freight costs, a lot of people are saying it's double what it was. Well, it's double what it was in late November, early December, but that alone was double what it was earlier in the year. So it's actually more like 4X, 5X from what the supply chain in general thought it should be. Um, and aside from the price, the delay. Um, so a lot of the um, infrastructure sort of had as a basis, um, I don't need to book my container until the week I'm ready to bring product to port and load on the ship. Now they have to book four or five weeks in advance, or they're going to face a delay, or they're paying that premium, right? So just like our message um, here at home for installers is plan ahead, give us your order farther in advance. That's all the way up the supply chain. Um, and a lot of those Pressures, I think, are not really going to ease in a significant way till well into the later part of the year. So unfortunately, I think we all have to kind of agree that whatever we assumed we could do last minute is no longer the case. Um, add some time to it, and it, that's happening all the way up the chain. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be uh, pressured, backlog, constrained uh, was a good word we used earlier, and bottlenecked um, pretty much uh throughout the year this year. Okay. Um, I have a lot of different um, agenda items here, and we could talk about tax credits, the economy. Does anyone else want to weigh in on supply chain thoughts? 
Yeah, Brian. I'll jump, I'll jump in there. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think what everything David mentioned is is in line with what I've been hearing about logistics concerns. Uh, I think I'll also just add something that we've been hearing is this is also rooted in limitations around manufacturing capacity itself for equipment, which unfortunately is a bit of a, a longer tail issue to ramp up uh, manufacturing capabilities. So that is a bit of a more of a long-term concern, although you know we've seen executive orders come out from the Biden administration recently trying to promote domestic manufacturing for various industries, um, which renewables would be a part of. So we'll be tracking that closely to see how quickly that can ramp up to you know alleviate some of this uh, these constraints. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on supply chain before I move along? Brian, let's go back to you real quick. We got a question from Eric in Missouri. And our audience, please feel free to add questions to the Q&A in the chat, um, and we can address those as we go. Let's talk about the ITC. How will the two-year extension of the federal investment tax credit impact solar sales? And feel free to touch on the sales component there, but you know, share your thoughts you know, at a high level as well. Sure. I'm going to pivot a little bit to installations, um, because that's sort of what, what we focus more on at Woodmac, mm-hmm. but I mean, in general, I think you can see that sales have been booming regardless of the IPC extension. This should only provide, you know, further tailwinds for that as, you know, just the improved economics, particularly for customers seeking the the ownership route and the next couple of years, you know, the, the credit was um, standing to step down to 0% in, uh, in 2022. So over the next couple of years, we see some tremendous upside from that extension. We've actually, uh, Woodmac raised our residential installation forecast, not sales, but on the installation side by 2.5 gigawatts over the next five years compared to our prior uh, quarters forecast. Um, so that gives you kind of an idea of the type of magnitude we're expecting from that policy change. Mm-hmm. And feel free, anyone, to jump in. But Ajulo, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. The Biden infrastructure bill, you know, is there anything mm-hmm. in particular you're tracking there or you want to talk about? It? Yeah, absolutely. So I sit on the board of the North Carolina Clean Energy Fund, which you mentioned earlier. And we are um, a partner to the Green Coalition of Green Capital's uh, Climate Investment Bank. It's actually called a Sustainability Accelerator which is, um, we hope, will pass alongside the infrastructure bill, if not with some other um, piece of legislation soon. And in that um, legislation, we are asking for $100 billion to support the climate accelerator that then feeds for all 50 states through the green banks within those states. There are not green banks in every state at this point, but the idea is to um, get those up and rolling quickly. North Carolina is one of the newest ones. Um, and so with that $100 billion investment from the federal government, the accelerator expects to leverage $7.5 to $8 per. So in, in private capital, to, so to take up the total investment to close to a trillion dollars in new clean energy, um, energy efficiency, um, improvements in agriculture and industrial um, carbon decarbonization as well. And hopefully will be funded. And there's also 40% that's set aside within that money, which is exciting to me. 40% of the uh, total investment is for frontline, fence line, marginalized, underserved communities and places that may be experiencing job loss and other economic impacts from the transition away from uh, carbon-based fuel sources. So that's what I'm looking forward to is the 
um, hopefully the accelerator will move forward in the infrastructure package. Okay, thank you. And I, I wanted to bounce to Vikram, but we just got an audience question, which I actually want to kick to David. Um, can you speak to how the ITC extension will affect the CNI market segment? Do you want to comment on that, David? I'll try. I mean, I think it, it is a good thing. I think the CNI segment is just heavily um, dominated by the the um, direct economics of the project, right? So, whereas a residential homeowner is, is might might choose to go solar or solar plus storage for um, emotional reasons, in the CNI space, it's just purely economic. So, um, having that extension, knowing what the predictability of it is a little further down the road, um, gives confidence. It helps the economics. Uh, it should help. Um, but I think that's that probably you know it, we're talking about a difference of a few percent, which is very very meaningful, but. Um, it's there are other pressures uh, at play there too. Vikram, mm-hmm. can I just yeah on the ITC? So yeah. from a consumer perspective, what we are seeing first of all, extremely glad that the ITC was extended uh, because if it was if it had not been extended, the first six months of this year would have been a mad rush of consumers. Right, nothing makes the consumers move when they're about to lose 22% of tax credit. Uh, And what we have seen in the last couple of years with the step down, Q4 is just maddening. There's a consumer rush, installers are busy, things are moving too fast, and it's never good for an industry when you have that kind of yo-yo experience, uh, both from an industry and a consumer perspective. So really, really glad to see that happen. And given that the long-term certainty, at least the next two to three years, that yes, investment tax credit will be around, the industry will be much more stable. Uh, So that's the good news. Uh, So yeah, just wanted to add that. Yeah, great. And I was going to ask you to follow up on this question, but if anyone else has... um has thoughts. It's not a question, but rather a statement from an audience member. And the statement is depressed economy, job uncertainty. You know, and I'm sorry if that audience member is having a rough time, but it did make me consider the rosy picture of the solar industry and how well stocks are performing, but how that squares with the job market and the uh, the recession. So what's going on here? Vikram, do you want to wade into those muddy waters? Sure. So happy to. We just uh, completed a nationwide survey of consumers just to get a pulse for what are people thinking of uh, regarding solar? Uh, what's making them decide to go solar? What's keeping them away from solar? They Either they shopped and did not decide to go solar or they're just not even considering. So I think from, from a residential solar perspective, economics is still running the day. Like it is mostly about economics. People really want to make sure that they are making, that it is going to be a good financial decision. So no no surprise here. I think people want the prices to come down. They want better financing options so they can actually reduce their energy costs. And now with the interest in batteries, I think the total cost of solar is going up again. And there is a lot of interest in batteries. While most people don't really understand the the price of batteries and the cost benefit of batteries, uh, there is of course, it is it is mostly an emotional decision. But again, that price tag becomes very big. Uh, so now mm. that decision is becoming more complex. And of course, with economic uncertainty, it, it is, I think we, we talked about, I think uh, that it is a K-shaped recovery in, in America, right? For some people, it is excellent. And for some people, it is just not really good. So it is reducing the total amount of consumers out there that can move forward with solar uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. So we do have to keep that in mind. And that is why I think one of the reasons why we said, yes, moderate growth this year, because it's not a universal story uh, all around. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to want to jump in there, 
Uh, maybe maybe I'll jump over to Brian. Uh, looking in 2020, some of the larger companies, uh, they underperformed against smaller and mid-sized solar contractors. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Vikram was, uh, was quoted in a piece in the Times, you know, um, and I want to get his thoughts here too, but how are you thinking about this topic? Sure. Oh, that, that totally makes sense. Um, yeah. it, it's very interesting to see how um, size of installer has kind of... Um, impacted who's been impact, uh, you know, who's really suffered from COVID the most. I think what we can say broadly is there are um, a lot of large installers that were able to do well, some that did not, but the kind of mid to large scale company um, generally has a bigger balance sheet, more capital at, at their disposal, better resources to kind of deal with costly shifts on a moment's notice um, in terms of sales and marketing strategy. And smaller contractors don't always necessarily have that same capability. On the flip side, a lot of those smaller shops are lean. Um, they don't have a ton of overhead. You know, they are able to kind of re rely on referral bases, which is a, a very low cost of acquisition strategy. So it's it's kind of hard to parse out exactly um, broad and paint broad strokes. But what I will say is, uh, you know, the the companies that that really suffered the most are likely ones that had a hard time adapting their sales and marketing model to a digital, a digital platform. I mean, a lot of folks just mentioned that there's, it's hard to replace that face-to-face -face interaction, especially at a time when we're still, we're still dealing with customers that aren't very highly educated on, on going solar and what the benefits are. They need a lot of handholding to understand the economics and the actual process itself. So in that environment, it's, it's hard to kind of make that pitch over Zoom or, you know, through the internet without having that consultative process to, to educate them. So, you know, a lot of those companies that were able to make that switch and were uh, adapting swiftly, they were able to recover. And a lot of them are actually growing um, and, and have boasted bigger Q3 and Q4 numbers than they were at, you know, last year and, and beginning of, of 2020. So um, it's kind of a, a split bag on, on the, the impacts. And then I think the other thing I'll just say beyond size is a lot of this is geographical too. Um, and, and, and the way that folks are exposed to different state markets that had, you know, different lockdown measures. Um, so it's all kind of uh, muddled in that, but um, you can take a look at kind of sales and marketing strategies and uh, size of a company to kind of get a good proxy of how that's yeah. impacting the industry. Yeah, thank you. And I'm curious to hear from our audience. So are you doing more sales on Zoom? Is it working? How is it uh, going for you? Ajulo, to that point of regionality and education, um, a lot of your customers that you work with are in rural communities. How, what's that process like uh, for you? Has it, has it worked educating customers on Zoom? How are you educating folks about the solar options? Um, what are you seeing as the opportunities there? Yeah, I can't overstate enough what Brian said, which is that customer education is a huge component of this. Um, and in my experience here in the Southeast in North Carolina, there's a huge portion of the market that just isn't aware of what solar is at all. And um, that, that education process I think is necessary and at the same time, I think we'll, we'll also ramp up um, when the market is more open to residential installations. So at this point, we don't have a lot of residential installations outside of 
a wealthier few within a few urban centers in most of the states in the South. And I think that that is um, because we don't have power purchase agreements here. Our leasing structures are um, very nascent, if at all, in existence. Um, we have, I think, three leasing companies here in North Carolina that are currently authorized to offer um, that product. And then there's a normal consumer loan that might be available for some residential customers. But in this, um, particularly in the COVID era, that's sort of at the very bottom of the priority list for most people. Um, so I think that in part, the education will come with the uh, market expansion in our region. Those two things will definitely happen at the same time. And then, then I think, uh, but this also gives us an opportunity to, to get prepared for that moment because it will come and begin thinking about consumer protection. And I think that's the part of the equation that often gets overlooked or is sort of done on an ad hoc basis at the you know, afterthought. But th this does give us an opportunity to put some emphasis on cons consumer protection now in the absence of the expansion of the market that we're expecting to see in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Vikram, does that resonate with you? You know, getting into the head of the of the of the homeowner, the solar consumer. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, we, as I mentioned, based on our research, the research that we just completed, one thing that came out loud and clear is the consumer confidence in the industry remains low. Hmm. Uh, the good news is a lot of people want solar. The bad news is that their confidence in the industry is still still low. They're looking for more information. They're, look, mm. they're looking for more transparency uh, about the solar companies, about solar financing, about the equipment that they're buying. Uh, and they, they're hungry for more information. And I think that goes with consumer protection, right? Mm. So you, you hear this a lot from me uh, uh, in, in conversations. Like, I think we may, the industry, may want to try things a little bit differently. I think uh, if we stick with how things have worked over the last decade, if we think that that is the same methodology for the next 10 years, uh, I think we might be in trouble as an industry. I think it's time to innovate. I think it's trying to try new things, uh, how to meet the consumer where the consumer wants to meet us. Mm -hmm. uh, the opportunity is there. Can we now get it? Uh, and that is where I think the large companies are are both growing because that is what the Wall Street is rewarding them for, but they are buying growth. They're spending a lot of money on buying that growth. And sometimes that requires bad practices uh, or, or unsavory practices, right? So you have to think about how, how to do things right, have a good unit economics for your business, make money, uh, it's real profits so that you can be sustainable while meeting the consumer needs. David, you know, I'm surprised to hear that's, that that's, uh, homeowner or consumer confidence is low. Do you have any thoughts on how we might pivot, like Vikram is saying, innovate, uh, approach different our practices differently to help address this problem? It's a great question. And I think um, I agree with Vikram. We have to figure it out. I don't have a, a clear idea, but I think, um, you know, I try to think about some of the other industries where um, consumer choice becomes simplified um, in terms of, I, I don't have to understand all the intricacies 
of how my refrigerator works, but I understand an appliance and I understand how to compare an appliance brand or, or um, sort of a feature set one to the next. And I think automobiles are the same way. We sort of understand we all need an automobile. We've got some brand preference. We've got a feature package set that is our preference. But with solar, we're still at the point where there, the, that doesn't exist as a thing, a, a single product uh, owned by one manufacturer all the way through. And so, you know, w there's a brand preference on modules, there's a brand preference on inverters, there's a brand preference or, or perception around storage. How do we bring that together? And maybe at some point we actually have to confront, I, 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 it's hard for me to say because I'm a big advocate of consumer education, consumer choice, but if we limit those choices, make it easier for the consumer to understand um, by packaging things more or having a little bit more commoditization to the finished product, more integrated uh, finished product, that's what's going to be easier. Um, in all my days in, in home building, I, I envisioned a future where we actually had a dashboard to drive our homes, right? So um, essentially a, an iPad that controls all of our energy management within the home it's integrated and maybe the component parts aren't brand names we recognize, but the way we interface with it, the way we um, as a consumer run our home is similar to how we run our car, right? It just, it's seamless. Um, so I, I do think that's kind of a future. And I think that would be a lot easier for a consumer to understand with new home construction, with, with um, mandated solar and or integrated energy management, that's going to take it out of the consumer choice bucket and put it into the, you know, the manufacturer home builder, you know, to solve those problems. And I think that's kind of the direction companies like Tesla have gone. Let's just use the brand recognition of Tesla to say, you just want a Tesla powered home. It's easy. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think some of the other brands need to do the same. And we as an industry need to think about how do we help people not get so bogged down in the intricacies and the difference between an LG module and a JA solar module or a Trina module, but it's PV, right? And it's, it's, that's your generation in your home. And then your battery storage is your, your backup, your consumption. And then what is my overall energy management platform? How do I drive my home? Um, that's what I think a consumer can really wrap their brains around. Um, and, and, and I, I don't know how we get there, but I do think that's right. the path. Yeah. yeah. And Vikram, what do you, what do you think about that? Yes. No, I think David is right. I think this is when we, when we look at the uh, verbatims that the consumers are telling us, it is very much in that direction. You are about to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a system that is likely to operate for the next two to three decades. So consumers are really asking for, Hey, do, can I trust this brand? Uh, can I trust the brand from end to end, right? The brand of the contractor, the solar company from the brand of the equipment, People need third-party validation. As you said, cars, I love cars. I love, I look at consumer reports or I'll go and study five websites about what the rating and reviews are. What's, how, do these, how do these cars compare against each other? I think people, that is what gives you confidence, right? I think I've, I've used this analogy before. Today, when a consumer walks into a dealership, they've already done 11 hours on average of homework and they have pretty much decided which car they're going to buy. Mm -hmm. right? They're just trying to finalize the last last bit because there is so much information available on the web about their options. Consumers don't fear choice. I think as long as you make choice easy to navigate, consumers actually crave choice. Uh, so if we can provide them with the right information and the tools to evaluate that choice in, a, in the right manner, I think they will move much faster in a more confident manner. Mm -hmm. um, that should help the, the whole industry and yeah. make this a mass, mass market industry. There's a lot I hear about, you know, streamlining education, digitalization, 
maybe this is a good time to segue to some some of the bottlenecks we see. So, Brian, you know, w- given what David and Vikram just said about, do you see uh, some of these factors as being bottlenecks? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, going off of what uh, Vikram and David just said, uh, brands brands do matter. Consumers want companies that they can trust. They want, and that, and that stems from, you know, companies that are supplying the equipment, companies they're working with to install the system on their, you know, their house. They want to be able to know what these companies have done in the past and that they have, you know, solid records. And so if, if a company gets a bad name for not walking through the customer and educating them, that will be a stain for them. Consumers will hear about that. And it only takes a few disgruntled consumers to go out and say, you know, this company installed this system on my roof and it didn't go as well as I hoped. Um, there are a lot of things I'm, I'm learning now in the first or, you know, second year that I've had the system that things go wrong. And that kind of creates a black eye. And I think about this also, this is a bit of a, a, a tangent on, on this, um, mm-hmm. just thinking about ways that companies might get uh, a bad rap. I think about this in the day of COVID in, in customer experience. Companies have had to tread very lightly on what their door knocking strategy is going to be. You know, there have been certainly state markets that have been more restrictive and outright banned going door to door solicitation. And it kind of speaks again, back to just a few disgruntled customers. If you're taking that risk and going door to door, there's certainly some customers that are not wanting people to come to their door at, at this moment in time. It only takes a few of them to you know, raise their voice and say, uh, I feel uncomfortable. This is not the interaction I would hope for. And so I, I think you know, installers and contractors need to be careful about you know, the sales organizations they're working with, as well as you know, their own sales staff um, and how, you know, they're operating in that way, not only just from a consumer education standpoint, but, you know, the the customer perception of, of their business practices. Is there a, per, per, thank you for that. And is there a particular constraint that you're thinking that you'd like to highlight for us in terms of how we're, how we are not going to achieve our goals in 2021? Yeah, I think aside from high level talk about customer education, I think it's really coming down to to labor. You know, a lot of things we heard about before COVID was industries growing. Um, there's plenty of demand. We just don't have enough bodies to install projects. And that kind of subsided a bit as there was, you know, everything went crazy at the beginning of COVID. Um, and that wasn't as big of an issue. But now that demand has returned. Um, and like we said, backlogs are growing. It's really about getting the crews to actually complete those projects and, and you know, in a timely manner to not stretch out those project timelines. Julo, does that does that resonate with you? Workforce, you know, is that going to be a big constraint? Is that what you have in your mind? What's going to limit, from your perspective, our ability, your ability uh, to grow solar in the southeast or nationwide? Yeah, I unfortunately would have to go back to the market here. Still, from my perspective, um, it's still pretty tight. It has not it has not expanded beyond utility scale solar. Um, Mm -hmm. for most of the states here in the Southeast region. And uh, so I have to go back to policy again to kind of um, looking at the kinds of um, 
incentives that are necessary will likely be necessary going forward. And uh, unfortunately, and obviously, the wild card still is COVID um, because that is going to, even even with the Biden administration's clear emphasis and the great team that he's put in place to try to carry out his mandate, we're still going to have to focus on health and sort of the fundamentals, getting kids back to school and all mm. of those fundamentals. And I think, you know, labor, of course, is probably going to be an issue across many industries. But my hope is that there will be some policy with or without money, Mm -hmm. ideally with money, that will be moved forward uh, in 21, hopefully, if we're able to um, sort of see uh, move from COVID as kind of priority number one. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot the conversation. We have 15 minutes left and I laid out a lot of topics and we're not going to get up to all of them, obviously, but let's hit a few. I want to talk about products and financing for sure. Mm-hmm. David, module size changes, form factor changes. What are you tracking in terms of in terms of the product landscape that you want to call out for uh, solar contractors? Yeah, plan ahead, be prepared. There's a lot of change coming. Um, the, all of the manufacturers are looking at how to um, not only boost the nameplate per module, right? It just sounds better if you can put 500 watts per module on the roof than 350 watts, right? That just sounds mm-hmm. better. Um, and the theory is that it will drive down the total installed cost um, for that project. It, there should be some savings on labor, or whatnot. But you know, people haven't handled a seven and a half foot long module yet, and trying to to, to carry it up a ladder onto the roof. You know, solar is still at the residential and and sort of DG um, part of the market is a local installer's business. And I think that really touches on what what both Ajulo and Brian were saying earlier, that um, it it's a it's a personal system installation. It's not an it's not an appliance, right? It's not a one thing. It's not a just a piece of equipment. So I think that's what we're going to see on the product front is how do we actually um, plan ahead for those changes and not just do the quick math in our head that says, oh, I can just buy fewer modules, fewer pieces of racking. I'm done. And local contractors, um, having been one myself, I know we don't want to integrate that design change until I have to. So I I know from a roadmap. I'm going to be buying this larger module in six months, but when do I actually do my first layout and design? Probably the week before I need to submit the permit for the first house that I've sold with that. Um, And that's too late, in my opinion, um, because it's, it's going to change everything that you assumed and your bill of materials change. And if you haven't chased that through your business, you just sold it, you're going to be surprised, right? And then that becomes hiccups for folks. So I just encourage people to, to, to do their best to stay on top of those changes, um, work with Bewa, work with your preferred suppliers to get your hands on that information and, and understand what's coming so that you're, you're better prepared. Brian, I don't, I don't know if you're checking anything on the product side that you'd want to call out for us. Or we can move on to financing. I'll just quickly say, you know, no surprise, just the boom of storage and the different players entering that space. You know, we have various uh, manufacturers entering, getting into that market. So that's, you know, exciting as demand is surging. Um, there's going to need to be those players kind of filling in that supply chain. So we'll be watching mm-hmm. that. Okay. Well, on the financing side, we got a bunch of questions just about general. What what are the financing trends folks should watch out for? Brian, in an article in Green Tech Media, there was a section of your article that said solar loan portfolios have passed the COVID-19 stress test. Um, what did you mean by that? And can you walk us through what you're tracking in the financing landscape in 2021? Sure. Uh, so on that, that first point, you know, this is really the first recession that the solar industry has faced. Um, if you think back to 2008, uh, particularly 
clearly residential solar was nowhere near its current playing field. So when, when COVID happened and, you know, there was um, signs of some economic downturn, uh, one of the questions was going to be, will customers be able to keep up with paying their bills? And so what we've seen so far is that virtually all providers and portfolios have exhibited astounding payment performance over the last year or so. Uh, and many of these providers actually have better payment performance than they did before COVID. And really what this comes down to is customers, once they go solar, they want to stay current on that bill because the alternative is to pay their full utility bill, which is more than likely not going to be higher um, and more expensive for that customer. So there's a really high incentive for them to stay current on that bill. Mm -hmm. um, so what we've seen is that residential solar assets are just a much safer investment than was previously perceived by the investment community. And now we're seeing kind of even, even more capital flowing to the space. In terms of what, you know, what we're watching for in the landscape of, of financing, um, you know, there's been the, the well-documented trend of the rise of solar loans. You know, at this point, PPAs and leases only make up about 25% of the residential market. And mm -hmm. this year, we're expecting over 60% of the market to be um, deployed through solar loans. Um, so within that, you know, we're tracking that a lot of the products out there are shifting to longer terms, like 20 and 25 year terms with lower interest rates, uh, which also you know yields a lower monthly payment because of the longer tenor. Um, so that's kind of changing the way we see solar being bought and sold um, rather than focusing on you know system payback over time. Their customers are thinking about uh, a lower monthly payment month over month. Um, so that kind of changes the the equation. And, you know, beyond just product trends, you know, going back to capital investment, you know, we're seeing more banks and credit unions express interest in entering the space if they haven't already. And, you know, some of them are looking to partner with big originators that, you know, are the, the top loan providers in the country that are typically partnering with contractors. But some of these banks are also looking to perhaps enter directly with contractors themselves. Um, so that's a, a big opportunity uh, for customers or for um, contractors of all sizes, uh, looking at your, your local credit union or bank that might be you know, having a peak of interest in solar now that it's a bit becoming more mainstream and has been proven out as a, a safer investment. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Anyone else want to weigh in on financing uh, or products, what they're tracking? I'll just jump in real yeah. quick. As I mentioned at the top of the discussion, the Sunlight SPAC has to be a pretty interesting development. Uh, given the amount of capital they now have access to, how they will choose to deploy that capital could be very interesting. And I have to think that the Sunlight is not the first and the last SPAC in the lending space. It is very much possible that we see multiple of these kind of uh, investment activities. So with this kind of capital, is it going to drive consolidation? Is it going to drive um, uh, different kind of products? I think it would be very interesting to see how Sunlight deploys billion, billion dollars of cash. Mm -hmm. David, we got an interesting question um, about dealer networks, you know, getting back to your comments on, on what's going on downstream. We're hearing more about business models changing, like large installers forming dealer networks. You know, it's been going on for a few years, but it seems to be taking off. Can, do you have any thoughts on the ramifications of that? Um, I think they're subject to the same um, constraints and bottlenecks and challenges that we've been talking about. Access to labor, it will be a big one. Um, so um, how are they planning in their business model for 
optimize deployment and optimize throughput from sale to install, or are they building some resilience into the model, right? How can they shift around? And, and um, I think, you know, historically we've enjoyed falling prices and rising demand. And so generally we're pretty bullish and we say we can, you know, we can assume these really high uh, deployment rates or, or optimize the model. Um, that that may be hard, and and I think Brian touched on some of what what folks ran into um, at each of those different scales of business um, through COVID, um, and the ones that came out the other side were the ones that had a more resilient business model at whatever scale. Um, so uh, I think yeah, I think it's great. I think that we do need to link arms um, a little bit more broadly and not have sort of a a, a lone wolf approach to to deploying solar, but there's a lot of hands in the pie and a lot of those dealer models I've seen in the past, there's too many people trying to siphon off their margin or figure out how they will make money as a piece of that or try to aggregate it all and make more money. There's just not a lot of margin available here. It's a limited pot. And so I think we have to come to terms with that and say, well, what's really best for the consumer? What's best for, for the overall deployment and, and have that measured growth and resilience built into the model rather than optimized to, you know, or, or not optimized, but sort of shooting for the moon, you know, with, mm-hmm. with crazy uh, expectations. Brian, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely echo everything David just said. I think it's a, a great point about push on margin. Um, but I'll also say is that I think a lot of these, they're typically larger players that are kind of employing this dealer model. And I think they're just finding it to be more efficient um, to expand their you know, the geographic footprint as well as to drive lead generation to, to these smaller players uh, and you know, provide them uh, pipeline and access to financing. And they can handle that part and then kind of farm out the EPC work to those smaller players that have a better sense of local dynamics. Um, so, you know, I think that that really on the flip side provides a, a pretty big opportunity for smaller players to per- perhaps partner with these uh, larger players that are, you know, kind of can take some of that costly lead gen work from them. And, uh, you know, there's potential for, for, um, for some synergy there. Although, you know, I think what David said is definitely apt that when you're adding layers to the equation, um, there's potential room for, you know, margin deterioration around, you know, around the edges. So that's mm-hmm. definitely something to be wary of. Okay. Thanks. Real quick, Ajulo, we did get a question from a, an audience member. How is Ajulo seeing the economic impact in rural areas for landowners? Sure. Um, thank you for that question. Whoever wrote that, that's perfect for me. I, um, I'm actually particularly interested in the role that solar has in helping to generate income for landowners through a leasing mechanism. And so the potential for that, I think, is still really strong, especially in, again, we're in the southeast where we have a lot of utility scale projects. The issue, though, is that those projects are growing larger and larger in order to become um, more uh, economically feasible. And so the gap, there is a gap in financing or capital available for smaller projects like community solar, less than five uh, megawatt sized, two megawatt sized uh, solar. And um, on top of that, adding storage to solar um, is making it more expensive and therefore needing to be larger sites and therefore needing to have landowners with much larger acreage available. So that's part of the, that gap is part of where I'm hoping that these um, clean green banks will start to fill that gap in places where, where there isn't much financing and, and yet a lot of upside for consumers on the back end, such as community solar type installations. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm also hopeful that um, the set-asides within the accelerator for low and moderate income um, consumers will also drive more capital to smaller distributed scale community solar sized installations as opposed to the 80 and um, 100 megawatt and beyond size utility scale projects. Um, mm -hmm. Because as you all know and have experienced in the more sophisticated markets, many, many low income homeowners cannot take advantage of rooftop solar. Um, the housing stock is just not capable of, of having rooftop solar. And so mm -hmm. community solar is, a, um, is going to be a important part of the mix and will be supported hopefully through federal um, as well as private investment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. So we got about two minutes left here and I want to try to wrap up and ask our panelists for, for one recommendation they would make for solar contractors and, and also if there's anything else they'd like to, to promote or call out that they're working on that they're excited about. But I'll, I'll just say thank you to our guest, Zajulo Otho, the founder and CEO of EnterWealth. Thank you again for joining us today. Lovely to have you. Um, Brian White from um, Wood Mackenzie Power and Renewables. Great to have you for the first time. Uh, David Dunlap, Vice President of Operations at Baywari Solar Systems. And Vikram Agarwal, uh, CEO and founder of Energy Sage. Great to have you again. Vikram, let's stay with you. One, you know, suggestion for solar contractors to think about in 2021 and anything you'd like to highlight uh, of your own work. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to think more about a recommendation, but I would highly, highly appreciate if folks can take a few minutes to uh, take the solar the in solar installer survey. It's our annual survey, a lot of really good information. And please, if you have ideas for what kind of questions we should be asking in the future, please send it over to us. Uh, that would help us improve this survey and get you more information that, that would benefit your organization. Mm -hmm. Great. And Jessica, I think, can share that with, with folks as well. Um, Brian, thoughts, recommendations, 2021, anything you want to promote, call out? Sure. For, for recommendations, I'll try to kind of uh, coalesce everything we've, we've talked about, um, which is to, as a contractor, assess your, your financing options as well as your, your marketing engines. You know, the, the industry is definitely evolving and changing. Business development is changing. Marketing is changing. There are a lot smarter ways to efficiently target and identify potential customers than there had been in the past due to all this, you know, explosion in digital advertising. Um, so, you know, thinking about lead generation and, and those marketing tactics, are you getting the most out of your partnerships? And is it, you know, the most efficient allocation of capital there? And then the financing side, you know, most, most installers and contractors have at least two to three financing partners on, especially for loan providers. Um, so they, they have access to a wider range or a wide product suite, different interest rates and tenors. Um, so just thinking about what you have and if it's you know fitting with what customers are looking for in the marketplace um, is kind of my, my takeaway for, for 2021. Great, thanks. Ajulo, takeaways, thoughts, anything you'd like to, to shout out that you're working on? I would say um, it, it also helps to understand that there's a whole segment of the marketplace that is currently not being served by solar, whether it's geographic or in terms of um, income. And so consider those as opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for that message. David, final thoughts, 2021. What do you want to shout out from Baywa? Um, collaboration, communication. Um, let's link arms. Let's continue to build the community. Um, we've got a lot of hope and optimisms and, and it's going to be a challenging year still. So we can get through it. We'll get through it better, stronger together. Um, and uh, yeah, collaboration and communication will be key to, to doing that. Okay. I think that's a great place to end it. 
thank all of you for coming uh, for the first time for some, returning for others. Uh, yeah, and we'll keep the we'll we'll keep the window open for our audience so they can pull any of the links for the chats. And yeah, we'll say goodbye now and uh, see you next month. Bye, everybody. See you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.